Uh, welcome to Making the Jump with Richard Olberger, PhD in clinical psychology and sports psychology, and me, Lorinda Phillips, MCC in business and retirement coaching as your co-host. Richard Olberger, clinical psychologist, somatic sports performance, integrating it all, channeling your inner hero, bringing out the best version of yourselves. And I'm loving being part of Making the Jump, helping athletes with their transitions, clinical psychologist based out of Los Angeles and podcast host. Glad to be here today. Great. Yay, me too. Uh, and I am uh, the founder owner of Retired from Sports. Uh, for the past three years, I've been coaching athletes for what's next. And it's just been ugh, my honor to do so. Um, before that, I coached uh, business owners, same kind of passion for an individual to actually accomplish something. So it was a great transition for me. I offer one-to-one coaching, vacation courses, and other courses uh, for, for folks. Our intention at Making the Jump is to help the current and former athlete in his or her transition and become the high performers in life, in their life, as they've been in their sport. We hope you find the podcast entertaining, real, and relevant. Our guest today is Kurt David. He is remarkable as a human being. I think this is so important for people listening to hear what this man has done. I think it's really important. So growing up in Gaylord, Michigan, about 250 miles from Detroit, Kurt had a household of eight people and one bath. All six kids were on athletic scholarship. Imagine the competition for the last morsel of food on the dinner table is what I had to think about. Okay. Sure, he'll tell so, us about it, yeah. Right, I'm sure. Kurt played pro basketball in Germany and was injured and prematurely forced out of the game. Uh, and one of the most issues or changes that he had to deal with and so he was unemployed and he had to walk away from a game he loved. Sound familiar? Rising up to the challenges and with an advanced degree in behavioral sciences, uh, Kirk became a transition consultant for professional and uh, Olympic athletes as they move being sports icons to what's next in their lives. Plays, played, what I really noticed too is he placed light on the, kind of the underbelly of athletics. He wrote a book called from Glory Days, Successful Transitions for a Professional Detroit Athlete, based on interviews he did with 20 athletes from Detroit. And then he got a TV series with the same name, and he won an Emmy for his series. Remarkable. He wrote other books, including The Change, Insights into Self-Empowerment, uh, and The Change is co-authored with some of the world's leading authorities on change and transition. And is part of a series that has become global movement. As a keynote and workshop speaker, Kurt now works with highly successful individuals, organizations, businesses at, that at times face challenges and change in transition. And finally, he works and as in his works, he discusses the five rules, and he also includes that in his public speaking. He said, we can't change where we've been, but he assures listeners from firsthand experience that we will have a huge say in where we're going. What did he have to do to overcome this? Reinvent himself, focus on, to be so successful after pro sport. We will find out today in our Making the Jump podcast. I would like to- look forward to it. Yeah, I would like to introduce Kurt yeah, Very nice to meet you uh, over Zoom. And I'm just very proud to have you on as our guest. I, you know, I took extra long because your biography is so fascinating and wonderful. So I just like, ah, 
Let's just take And then she started devolving into what it was like to grow up with all those siblings and how did you even get fed? And then we and then we see that you're a, 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 a sufficient athletic man. So you found ways to get fed. And I mean, I just bought all the athletes and ate, right? And the t dinner table, I had two brothers and I couldn't get like ever a second portion. Yeah, so. I, I swear, I don't know how my parents did it. They fed and fed us. I mean, honestly, it just, I think we had about four gallons of milk a week is what it was, if I remember. I bet. I absolutely bet. Okay. You said in your bag that you, st let's start out with kind of the beginning, that your family and community really influenced you as a kid and throughout your adult life. Could you give some examples of how they influenced you? Yeah, since young, I think I mentioned before, uh, perhaps with Richard, you and I had talked about it, that I grew up with eight of us in one house with one bathroom, right? Yeah. And so you learn early on in life that it's not, life isn't all about you. And so that's an early precursor to life. And you realize, oh, okay, well, you know, your time's up, time to get out. And um, all six of us were on athletic scholarship, two of us played professionally, and so extremely competitive. Uh, a lot of Nerf games in the bedrooms, one hoop on each side of the bedroom, and broken dressers and mirrors. And you know, Hopefully I, I, no I, major injuries. Yeah, no, no not to us, a... more of the furniture and, and the appliances around us. But okay, uh, often often we heard, get outside, right? When you guys go outside. <laughs> Don't care and, if it's snowing. Come on, get outside. Right, exactly. Oh, often we would be, uh, you know, we grew up in northern Michigan, so the right. area that I grew up in, it was about 200 inches of snow a year. And often you could find us outside shoveling the uh, the pavement out there to be able to shoot baskets and with gloves on or no gloves on, right? You take yeah. them off to shoot better. And... It does affect your jump shot. Yeah, quite a bit. The boots uh, don't quite get the elevation. I remember many times wearing those Sorrells, you know, the winter boots, trying to you know put a nice dunk down. It's like, ah, oh, this isn't quite working as well. So. But uh, yeah, a lot of skin knees in the backyard, you know, on the pavement and, uh, you know, but I'm very fortunate. I, you know, we kind of laugh about it, but I, I honestly, I don't know how my parents clothed and fed us. I really don't. My mom was a teacher at a private school and my dad was director of social services for the county. Uh, both give by, back type industries and, and jobs. And so they were always giving back to others. And I think that ingrained in us as well uh, about giving back. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, I didn't read um, that. I'd love for you to give us a, put a little light on a story that you can think of in your professional, while you're playing professional basketball, either something you learned from or something that was kind of fun and funny. Uh, that would be great. Yeah, no, I was very fortunate and very grateful for the opportunity. After college, I was able to play overseas, went overseas, played in Germany, lived in Germany. And uh, it was like a paid vacation, but I tell people it was a paid vacation. I mean, imagine that, you know, your needs are being taken care of, uh, living needs, and you're getting paid to do something that you love, right? At 23, 24 years old, where I get to see the world, had a lot of free time on my hands. I mean, you think about it, you practice, and then you just have time to yourself and go work out, you know, get your own individual workouts in as well. But uh, there was a lot of free time to travel and see the world. You know, I lived in Germany, and probably the, the, the funniest story was when I first got there. The first week I got there, I didn't know any German, right? I, I didn't. I knew two words. I take that back. I knew two words, Dumpf and Schweinhund, both of which are not complimentary words, right? One is dumb head, the other one's pig dog, literally is how they translate. But I didn't know any German. And so uh, my coach had said, hey, your neighbors want you to come over 
and just you know welcome the other community and and come over for dinner and i says oh okay that's kind of cool well the night before i went over for dinner uh to this german family i thought you know it'd be nice at least i i learned enough german to compliment them on the food so i had a german english english dictionary that i was looking up the words the night before about food and, and complimentary and i thought okay great so I, I looked at this uh german english dictionary learned some words so i thought and went over the next night for dinner and there's probably about eight ten people there the grandma the aunt the uncle it was a pretty big deal and i'm sitting there and, and really couldn't communicate i mean the younger kids learn english english so we could communicate a little bit in english but the older folks definitely not and so i'm sitting there i just smiled a lot and i ate a lot the food was great <laughs> and di and dinner got over and i thought okay this is my big debut to speak here i am this professional basketball player in germany and the neighbors invited me over and you know i'm going to show them that i really am embracing being here and so the dinner got over and i looked at them and i said das Futter ist wunderbar and they're all laughing at me literally oh. cracking up and i'm like uh oh, oh. So it wasn't until the next day in practice that my coach uh, had explained to me, says, hey, you're a pretty big hit last night. I said, yeah, what happened? He said, well, in English, you basically have one word for food, and that covers all different types of food. He said, in German, we have very two distinct different types of words for food. One is for animal food, and one is for human food. So basically what I said was the dog food was wonderful. That was my debut of speaking German in Germany while playing basketball. Oh, that was not too bad. I don't want to tell you mine. There's, oh. some, very, <laughs> there's some very close words in, in Hebrew. And I arrived late for class, and the teacher asked me, where were you? And there's a word, the word for cloudy, like having a cold, uh, versus the word for brothel are one letter apart so this this lovely israeli grandmother figure looking at me so curious that she knew i was trying thankfully yeah. it was a it was a patient soul who was like you didn't just tell me you were late for class because you were or you, or you said I, was at, I was at a cloudy brothel right i mean I yeah don't know. that's what it was oh my so god i learned my lesson the hard way to I still have my sheet of paper that I carried around with me for every day I'd add a new word or two I needed to say. To Lesson learned, right, for all uh, of us. Well, the two things, too, I come from uh, out of that story, Kurt, is, you know, uh, actions are louder than words. So they obviously saw you enjoyed their meal, you know, and you were trying, just like Richard said, you know, you were you know, attempting. <laughs> yeah, no, they appreciated that. They very much, yeah. and they understood, right? Yeah, I was yeah, a, yeah. I, it was a joke for the team uh, for the of rest course. of the season that year, that every time we went out to eat with as a team, they're like, hey, how's your dog food, right? Yeah, and so, uh, you know, I became a brunt of that joke, but yeah, yeah, yeah it was, it was really was, great. it was a very memorable time, uh, had, had a great experience. There was one other American on the team at that time. He was a guard out of Clemson University. Uh, so he and I collected right away and, and it was nice. nice to be able to speak English with somebody. And, but yet I embraced the language, embraced the culture. And like, like I said, it was a paid vacation. I mean, it was yeah. really enjoyable. We hear that a lot from athletes, Kurt, you know, this opportunity to be and explore the culture you're in. And you may get traded or, or play in a few cities. Some people, many cities, if they're on short-term contracts, they're trying out for many training camps. The ability to enjoy and embrace and see that, you know, what where you are is the real gift of playing in a foreign country if you do get that opportunity. 
Strange though, because some athletes I, I found, you know, I met a lot of athletes over there from America for different teams, and some of them really struggle with the fact that you're in a foreign land with a foreign language, and, and it's different culture. And uh, you know, I go back to my flight when I was flying over there. I was really excited, right? I'm really excited, but also a little concerned because I was going to be five thousand miles away from my family and friends in a country whose language I didn't speak, and I really didn't know what to expect as far as the, the basketball. And so, you know, moving forward from that moment. It was, uh, you know, it, it's you get excited about it, but also like, boy, what am I getting into, right? And for me, it was a, a great journey. Unfortunately, as we know, with all professional athletes, 100% of professional athletes ultimately lose their job, <laughs> right? A job termination, uh, whether yeah. it's by choice, which is very few, or uh, by the fact that, hey, you're not good enough anymore, or you have an injury or, or whatever it is. And so at some point it's over, right? And so understanding that, embracing that, and, and I wasn't immune to that, right? I knew at some point it was going to be over. Uh, of course, at 24, 25 years old, you don't expect that and don't want to live that, but it's a reality. And I'll never forget being on my parents' couch following knee, knee surgery, angry, right? Very angry, thinking, boy, how, how could this be over? You know, here I am, 25, prime of my life, having a great time, and it's done. It's over and sitting there and being angry for a while. But then I realized, you know what? I, I didn't like how that fit on me. I didn't like how that felt on me. And took a year off just to kind of regroup and figure some things out. Well, part way through that year, and this is just the way I'm wired, is I, I thought, you know, I gotta be productive. I can't just sit around here and do nothing. So I uh, decided to go to grad school, went to graduate school and start working on a master's degree in counseling. And uh, it served me well. Uh, after I was done with my playing career, I literally became a middle school counselor and uh, a varsity basketball coach. That so was a nice combination of helping kids in middle school and coaching basketball. Uh, I did the counseling part for 28 years and had a great career with that. And part of that journey, uh, during part of that journey, I came up with an idea. I thought, boy, wouldn't it be neat to sit down with other former professional athletes and hear about their life after pro sports? More importantly, how they recreated their success after pro sports. And that's what spawned the book, From Glory Days. And it uh, involved me in interviewing 20 former Detroit Pistons, Tigers, Red Wings, and Lions. I'm, I'm based out of Detroit here, so it was easiest for me to, to connect with those four teams. So I interviewed these former athletes that were Hall of Famers, All-Star, World Champion. But more importantly, not just about their glory days, but their transition out of pro sports. What was it like to take a 95% pay cut? What was it like to lose that identity? And how did you recreate your success? And the book became a, a bigger success than I expected. My agent and I at the time said, boy, this is a bigger deal than we thought. Let's uh, create a TV show. We created a TV show. Uh, I've done four seasons, won a regional Emmy in season four with my interview with Rocky Blyer. And, and it's been a, a great labor of love and, and continues to scale as a result. That's terrific. And that's exactly what Making the Jump is about, Kurt. I hope so many of the listeners and people who are subscribing to Making the Jump, and if you are an athlete about to go through a transition, that you uh, take a look at Kurt's work and draw upon athletes who've been through these experiences, who've been on the couch, who've been disconnected from their locker room, been in pain, been angry about it, because who likes, just like this pandemic, who likes change that we didn't see coming? And when you're an athlete, that can happen at any point in time, at any training camp or any point in the season, especially with an injury. Um, being able to have a network and resources to go to and those who've been through that path before at least provides a little bit of a candle and a resource for, for you to turn to. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, uh, you know, you hit on a couple of the key things. What I discovered through my research with the book and, and 
you know, doing 50 TV interviews and my own transition with that was that there was a commonality of success. And Richard, you and I have talked about it, about the commonality of success. There was five things that I realized that every athlete did to recreate their success again. As a result of that, it was able to help other former professional athletes as well and uh, their life and help them accelerate that. I mean, one of the biggest things that I hear from athletes in transition, as I'm sure you do as well, is I don't know. Well, what are you going to do? I don't know. Well, what are you, what are you thinking? I don't know. Right. And that's the hardest part because we're so hung up. I mean, it's so easy to create goals and and go after goals as an athlete. Right. I remember growing up in in not just high school, college, but even uh, during professional off seasons, having a sheet on my bedroom wall right next to the door on my way out that every morning I would see it. And it was my workouts and my goals, short-term goals, medium goals, long-term goals. And so I would see that every single day and apply that, you know, my three workouts a day. And it was very easy to do. But then all of a sudden when that athleticism was gone, it was like, oh, you know, how do I, how do I recreate those goals? And how do I recreate that structure again and the goals and what are my goals and who am I? And all these questions that go into it. And, you know, probably the, one of the biggest aha moments that I've had throughout this journey is that when an athlete identifies himself only as an athlete, that transition is going to be much huger. In other words, the athletes that identify that this is what I do, it's not who I am, their transition is going to be a little easier just simply because of that attitude. In other words, if I'm coming out and this is all I've known is playing hockey or playing baseball, and this is who I am, is I'm a baseball player, I'm a a hockey athlete, uh, you know, that's going to be a very, very abrupt change for them. But the athletes that come out that identify and understand that, hey, this is just what I did, it's not who I am. Yeah, it's, it's really brilliant if, if we could get that message across to people, to, to the uh, athletes, no matter at whether they're current athletes, uh, professional athletes, or former, if they get that message through. Uh, well, I think it was one of our guests' mothers said to him one, one day, you know, it's just exactly what you said. It's, it's not who you are. It's what you do. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and, you know, he said, I didn't even get that until she said it. And, you know, lots of guys listen to their mothers. So, you oh, know, and, the whole um, Campbell, Campbell soup marketing vision based <laughs> off showing athletes as being, right? Oh, they're just yep. a son listening to their mother about basic advice, right? But yeah. this is a good segue into one of your questions, Lorenda, and, and well, I th- is for Kurt to maybe, is it, are these five? Keys, are these the five keys you have that are part of your five rules? Is that yeah. part of the rule? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Hear about those. Yeah. And so what I discovered through my research with the book by interviewing other former athletes and uh, for the book and the TV show and, and then evaluating my own life and transition as well, I discovered there was five commonalities of success. In other words, the athletes that had the quickest and best success after pro sports mm-hmm. did these five things. It was very consistent. And so being the simple mind that I am, I thought, boy, how do I remember these five things? So I created an acronym, oh. rules, R-U-L-E-S. I figured, you know what, that's an easy acronym to remember because there's rules of life. There's rules in the game of sports. There's, right. you know, family rules. And so it was easy to apply those. And each letter means something. Each letter stands for something. So I'm, I'm assuming you want me to go into those now. I can give yeah, you a good note version. Even if, you know, short, we'd love to hear them if that, if you're generous enough to share. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, it, again, this is a crib note version. I've, I've presented this anywhere from a half right. hour to, a, you know, a three hour presentation for this. But uh, each letter stands for something. The first letter is R. And what I've discovered that every athlete that has a refocus, because that's the first letter stands for R, is the refocus. Mm -hmm. And the best way to refocus is to evaluate current goals and reestablish new goals. I alluded to goals earlier and how important it is as an athlete and even more so in post-athleticism. In other words, that refocus includes looking at, okay, boy, this is what I did before. Now I need to start looking at what is my new refocus. If you'd like to listen more, please click on the link for Making the Jump located in the show notes so you can get access to all of the shows and their complete recordings. This is Richard Listens, and I'm out.